Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we want to be those people of Isaiah 59 who you are looking for, who are humble and contrite in heart and tremble at your word, who find their joy and their strength in what you have to say and in who you are. So, Lord, help us to stand under your word today, Lord, and to receive everything that you have to say for us so that our hearts may be filled with a deeper love and a deeper passion for your son, Jesus, and all that he is and all that he has done. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning to you all. Good morning, Facebook congregation. There will be a day when you will not anymore have to be the Facebook congregation. You'll be here with all of us. We look forward uh, to that day. Uh, I want to talk about something today called the the religious spirit. And some of you might have heard that term. Some of you might have not. And I'm using religious in a negative sense, right? Definition of religion on its own is like a positive thing, right? It's like a, a habitual devotion to a higher power or deity or something like that, right? And so we all are, in a sense, religious technically, right? But the religious spirit is something huge. It's something that Jesus is always up against in the scriptures, okay? It's something that operates, uh, it operates through people against one another and against God. And it's what, exactly what we see in Matthew chapter 21 today. And so my sermon today is called Overcoming the Religious Spirit. Because the religious spirit's a temptation for every church and for every Christian to fall into it at times. And so we want to be aware of it so that we can overcome it. So that we will not fall prey to it. Because if we do, the life of God's spirit will flow in our church freely the Lord will be exalted and people's lives will be transformed. People will thrive. Amen. That's what we want, right? In our church, we want it to be a place where people thrive and the Lord is exalted. So to understand what's going on in Matthew chapter uh, 21, we have to back up just a little bit. So we see Jesus in the uh, temple teaching in the temple courts teaching and he gets resistance immediately from the religious leaders, right? By what authority do you do this? Okay, that's the religious spirit coming against him, okay? So why is it, what are they talking about when they say, by what authority do you do these things? What are these things? What's he doing? Well, you have to back up and read a little bit earlier in Matthew's gospel. So if you have a Bible and you're in Matthew chapter 21, um, we're going to back up to verse 12 just for a minute to get some context. Uh, if you don't, it's, it'll be a reminder for you. It's always good to bring your Bible to church. If you, uh, if you don't have it today, uh, no, no problem. Just, just listen in. So this is what Jesus had been doing. It says Jesus, this is verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Okay, there were people there making a profit on uh, sacrificial birds. And he says this, it is written, and then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 56, and he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So Isaiah 56 is all about the Lord saying that he's going to call people of every nation who are willing to walk in his ways and serve him to be a part of his people and to gather together and to worship him in his house, and it will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This context is all important, and you'll see why. So, Jesus uh, speaks against the abuse of the temple, the center of worship, and then it says this. This is what else he did. It says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, 
and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Indignant, right? They were ticked. They were angry. Why? Jesus was calling out the misuse of God's house and he was healing the sick. Why does he do these two things and why is that important that I backed up and read this? It's fascinating because Jesus is showing something about the purpose of God's people and their gatherings. One, they're supposed to gather to worship the Father in spirit and in truth, to be a people of prayer, to be a people who encounter God, right? Who have communication with God and actually have a living encounter with God. But it, the temple had instead been turned into a marketplace for religious ritual, okay? The second thing is that he does, he heals the sick, which makes them angry. And the reason that Jesus is constantly healing in the temple and in synagogues because these are the centers of worship, he's reminding the, the religious folks that when God's people gather together, the purpose is to, for people to be made whole. There's, it's no coincidence that he does it in, in the temple and in synagogues all the time, right? Because what had happened is that the Jewish people had neglected their God-given mandate and mission, their vocation to be a people who were a light to the world. Okay, this is this was from the beginning. God's people have always been called out as God's people to be missional, right? To be outwardly focused in their life and in their vocation. But Israel had become um, complacent and comfortable, and they got uh, comfy with how just the religious system and kind of upholding the machinery of the religious system. This is what you see all through the Gospels, right? And so Jesus is trying to call them to turn from that and see what their actual mission was to reach people, right, to reach the lost, non-Jews, Gentiles, people who didn't know the true God. So the danger of religion, or what we might call the religious spirit, is that when it becomes a structured system of ceremonies and rules that we feel we can manage in tidy boxes. That's what Israel had had, had fallen into. They, they, they had it all down, and they believed they were doing it to the glory of God, but what they had done is they had kind of put their, got their hands on the system and said, we've got it all figured out, and we're God's people. We're Abraham's sons and daughters, so we're good to go. We're the frozen chosen, right? But they had become insular, and they were guarding their religious establishment instead of being focused on the world around them, being a light to the nations and drawing people to the true God, okay? So they, they were failing at that, and this is what Jesus is constantly addressing. So... What happens when the religious spirit takes over a people or a person is that you become turned in on yourself, right? It all, all it becomes about you and what you can get uh, from God or from the religious system. And then what happens is that people are no longer getting saved, healed, delivered, and uh, equipped for life and ministry. It happens in churches all over the place in our own day and age, right? The the the, the work of God is rejected. And people, what people want to do is just keep the machinery of the, the system going through programs and, 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 and whatever. And where is, where is the work of the Holy Spirit? Right? Where, where are our lives being changed, transformed? That's what happens when we fall under the religious system is that people's lives are not being changed. And God doesn't like that. God is a God who wants his people to be a light to other people so that lives are being changed. Amen? It's what we as the church are also called to do. So since uh, the church is, is carrying on the same mission as Israel to be a light to the nations around us, we're in the same place of being vulnerable to the temptation of falling into that same kind of insularity. You tracking with me? Okay. 
So that's the context. They're upset with Jesus because he carries a certain a power and authority with him as he ministers in the places of worship. He will speak with authority and even come against the religious leaders, and he heals the sick and casts out demons, which always disrupts the, 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 the structure of things, right? The, the tidy boxes. <laughs> Jesus would not have been a good candidate for uh, most uh, churches looking for a pastor today, right? They'd say, so Jesus, tell us how you're going to grow our church today. He says, I'm going to heal the sick and I'm going to cast out demons. I'm going to raise the dead. They'd be like, next, <laughs> right? Sadly, sadly, Jesus would be turned down by most churches today because uh, he would disrupt uh, the, the comfort of and the structure of what they want to do. Okay, so back to Matthew chapter 21. Let's just start at the beginning of the passage there on verse 23. So Jesus, he had left for a day, okay? And then he comes back. It says he entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. The religious spirit can be aggressive. And they said, by what authority do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? So the, the religious spirit will often target righteous authority. Because righteous authority, the, an authority through which God's power and his spirit and his love are working in the way they're meant to be, it makes other people uncomfortable. Okay, So know that in your Christian life as you uh, grow in your authority and you grow in yielding, wielding the authority that Jesus has for you, you'll meet opposition. That doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It could, but it, it, it probably means that other people around you are uncomfortable and saying, who do you think you are? Who gave you this authority? You think you're better than us, right? So there, there's authority constantly. Uh, the religious spirit constantly targets righteous authority. And then, of course, uh, Jesus, he kind of pulls them into this little dialogical trap, right? He says, so tell me something and I'll tell you where my authority comes from. And he asked them, where did John the Baptist's authority come from? And then they go and they, they connive, right? The religious spirit is conniving. It will conspire. It will draw. It will, it will gather into a group, you know, and kind of conspire against things and try to figure out how to, how to come against whatever's happening that, that it doesn't like. And so, uh, they come back and they say, we don't know. And Jesus says, fine, I'm not going to tell you where my authority comes from. Because they knew. He was, rev- he was exposing something about their hearts. Right? He was exposing the hardness of their hearts toward his life and ministry. So now, um, let's, let's jump down to verse 28 and look at this parable. Because this is kind of the heart, of, the heart of the text. There's a, this is one in a series of parables where Jesus is really, he's really laying it on the Israelites. I mean, he's really trying to drive a point home because there's like four or five of these parables within a few chapters that have to do with God's dealings with Israel in and through Jesus. So he says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. Israel was often referred to as a vineyard in the Old Testament scriptures. God's vineyard where he was gardening and pruning and trying to make them fruitful. Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not. This is the first son's answer. I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. Okay? So this is a picture of transformation, of repentance, right? Someone that, that resisted at first but changed their mind and ended up going to work in the vineyard and to be fruitful. Now there's another one. He says, the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. So 
this is the picture of someone who belongs to God or to the work of God in name only, because he never actually went into the vineyard to work. Now, Jesus is connecting all this to John the Baptist's message. And remember what John the Baptist said to the, to the religious leaders who were opposing him. He said, don't say, oh, we're sons of Abraham. Don't think that just because of your ethnicity, that you're part of God's chosen people, that, that, that you've got it all figured out. Because God can raise up these stones to life, right? God can bring other people who will actually live in his ways and follow him and love and obey him. So this... Uh, this son who says, I will not, but then changes his mind. We could kind of say it's a picture of just humanity in general, right? Because the picture of humanity in general is the Bible that it's is, as a whole rejected God. As a whole rejected God, becomes sinful and rebellious and all of that. But eventually, some repent, change their mind, in turn, and actually enter into God's kingdom. And Jesus is saying the other son who says in name that he will do it, this is the this is what we could call the religious spirit. Belongs to God in name. Right? Tries to earn God's favor through ceremonies, rituals, rules, laws, and all of that stuff. Belong to God in name, but not really in heart. Right? We this is uh, what we heard in Ezekiel this morning. He said, God said to his people, Look, you need to get a new spirit and a new heart. <laughs> That's your problem. The problem's not that you can't you need more laws or you need to keep the law better. What you actually need is heart surgery. Okay, that was the storyline throughout the whole Old Testament that God's people actually need a transformation of their hearts, and it's what Jesus brings. Thanks be to God. So we have two different kinds of people that Jesus describes in the parable. And as I said, what he's doing is he's bringing a word against the Israelites who are rejecting him. And he says the ta- the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the least of these, the people who are the most broken, sinful, and filthy are actually the ones who are listening to John's message and my message and actually coming in to work in the vineyard and becoming a part of God's kingdom. Isn't that awesome? God's looking for people who will actually be willing to change in their hearts and be transformed. God's not impressed with our, how good our stained glass windows are, how polished our pews are. He's looking for people who are transformed in their hearts and want to receive all that he wants to give to them and do in them and through them. Amen? Good. So, Jesus could have just as likely said, you know, the, the atheists and the punk rockers or the street thugs and the heroin addicts or whatever. Just insert any group that gives you the heebie-jeebies here. And Jesus says they can enter the kingdom before you if you have a religious spirit. So it's a matter of the heart and and being open to the work of God. And so Jesus continued to encounter this religious spirit all throughout his ministry because he told parables like this. In one place, it said they perceived in their hearts that he was speaking about them. It's like, we know, we know what he's doing here. He's bringing something against us, right? And so they continue to oppose Jesus in all, you see this all throughout Jesus's ministry, but the whole time people are coming into the kingdom. The prostitutes, the Mary Magdalene's, the demon-possessed, the, 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 the addicts, right? The people who are getting set free because they're open, they're desperate, they're dependent on Jesus, and they're open to his ministry. And they're coming into the kingdom, and all the while, the religious leaders who think they have everything figured out and are God's holy people, Jesus says, you're outside of the kingdom. Whew. Okay. So this is what Jesus is dealing with, right? The religious spirit. You see, friends, 
there's a multitude of prostitutes and tax collectors out in the community around us, right? The least likely you would find in a church. There's a multitude of them who will come into the kingdom if only they see the grace and power that was at work in Jesus's life in and through working in and through us. They'll come into the kingdom. Yes. Are you with me? If they see the grace and power that was at work in Jesus's life in and through us, there's multitudes of people who will come into the kingdom. Jesus said as much. He said the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Okay. So again, as you continue in your Christian life and grow in maturity and grow in authority and power, you will meet opposition. But who cares? Okay. Who cares if the people at Starbucks goes, oh gosh, there's the God lady again, or here's the guy who's going to pray for everybody again today. Who cares? What is that to you if people are getting saved, healed, delivered, and transformed? Amen. So I want to just, uh, I want to have, I want to share three values because I think this is a, is a good word for us as a church to kind of wrap our minds around as a church community trying to, to develop a vision for outreach into the community, for worship, for all of those things. And so I want to uh, hit, I feel like what the Lord said to me was he wanted me to talk about uh, values that, that help us avoid the religious spirit. Three things that a church values that will keep it from becoming religious in the negative sense, right? In the negative sense. So here's the three things. If you're a note taker, you love this stuff. Number one, uh, number one is that it values a church that avoids the religious spirit values the power of God. Okay. Which means that it values inward transformation over external form, inward transformation over external form. Now, what I'm not saying is that external form doesn't matter. Okay. Right? We want our liturgy to be beautiful. We want it to be well done. We want there to be a flow and a structure of service. It's a beautiful framework that carries us into the heavenly places where we worship God in spirit and in truth. Okay? So I'm not saying that external form isn't, uh, is worthless or doesn't matter, but the external form of worship will have as its aim the transformation of lives. Salvation, healing, deliverance, and freedom in Jesus Christ. Amen? Friends, it should be on a regular basis that, that people's lives are being changed in this room on Sunday mornings. You agree? It should be on a regular basis that people's lives are being changed. If, if that's happening, we know the external form is feeding, is actually a means to an end of transforming people's lives for God. That's what we want, right? All right. At least one of you agrees. That's good. And it, and it shouldn't be, people's lives shouldn't be changed just because they, they hear like a good sermon or something that moves them or a good song that moves them, right? The Lord has equipped all of us with spiritual gifts and strengths to minister to each other and to minister to the broken people who come through our doors. It's a work of the people. It's a work of the people. But that's number, that's point number one of church that avoids the religious spirit values the power of God, that there is inward transformation that is valued over external form. Now, number two is this, a church that avoids the religious spirit values the voice of God, values the voice of God. Do you want to know what Jesus's uh, strategy for ministry was, what his, uh, what his, what his uh, program was for growing his church? Do you want to know what it was? Listen to what he says in John chapter five. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. That's Jesus' strategy for life, ministry, church growth. It's pretty good. Listening and obeying the voice of the Father. 
how many churches have uh, got to a place where they don't even bother asking God to reveal his voice to them anymore, right? You can have a growing church with good programs and everything, but not be listening to the voice of God. But Jesus, everything Jesus did in his life and ministry was a response to what he saw the Father doing, what he heard the Father speaking into his heart, right? And this is why Jesus was always running up against opposition, because the religious spirit doesn't recognize or submit to God's voice. It has no place for that because when you listen to God's voice, sometimes you don't get to have everything controlled and tidy and all all of that stuff that we humans tend to, to like, having that sense of control. But if, listen, if we are open to and seeking the Father's voice actively, he will guide us into our future every step of the way. God has something on his heart for every church. God has a heart for Good Shepherd. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And so the cry of our hearts as a church should be, Father, what is in your heart for Good Shepherd? Father, what do you see when you see Good Shepherd thriving and carrying out the ministry that you have for it? Amen? That's what, that should be the cry of our heart. Lord, show us how you want our church to apply the work of Jesus so that people's lives are changed. We got to reopen our, relaunch our food bank ministry this weekend and it was awesome. And every person coming through in their car to receive food was receiving prayer ministry. It was amazing. Megan must have stayed home because she's so tired out from ministering to people in prayer, but it was, it was just awesome. And I was just so blessed to see so many of our, our people gather to serve the community in this way. We, more of that. Right. More of that, because we Gordon has been listening to the voice of the Lord and felt compelled to reopen the food bank. Okay, so more of that. Now, I I want us to be able to say that we're actively and diligently seeking the father's voice. How do we do that? Through scripture, being under scripture, seeking it diligently, prayer and prophecy. Right. Being open to the prophetic when you have people in your midst who hear very clearly from the Lord, figuring out a time and a place for them to be able to share and to exhort the community. Paul, Paul in his letter says, I want you to walk in the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Okay. Remember, prophecy is not, thus saith the Lord and blah, 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 and like kind of going crazy and just saying like crazy stuff or predicting the future. Prophecy is a New Testament gift is actually about hearing the voice of God for yourself and for other people. Paul says it's for the encouragement, the consolation and the strengthening of God's people. So that's just, that's just sort of a little bit of a rabbit trail, but that's one way that we hear God's voice. We ask God to speak to us on behalf of others, for others, and for the community. So that what will happen is that we'll be full of the life that he wants to bring into our midst. Let's be a church that is open to all of those means of hearing God's voice. Jesus's message, um, I, I'm constantly reading Jesus's, you might call it like his end time messages to the churches in Revelation. Anybody read those? It's like the first three chapters of Revelation, and there's seven letters, and Jesus is addressing different churches in the ancient world who are under persecution, and he has mostly like positive and negative things to say to all of them. He gives them words of encouragement and words of rebuke, reprimand, and calls to change things. But at the end, what I noticed, I went through and I underlined it in my Bible, at the end of each of those letters, Jesus says something to each church with the same words. And he says this at all seven letters, the church at uh, Thyatira, Ephesus, Philippi, so on and so forth, all the churches he addresses. At the end of his address, he says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
So the Holy Spirit has the voice, is the voice of the Father, and he has something, a message for each and every individual church. So Jesus says, whatever you do, open your spiritual ears so that you can hear what the Spirit is speaking to your church. That's exciting to me. That the Father, it's in the Father's heart. He has a plan and a purpose for our church, for our community, for all of us as a people. He has a message that he wants to speak and is speaking to us. Isn't that exciting to you? The Father doesn't leave us just guessing and wandering around in the dark. He has a message that will guide us into our future together. This is one of the greatest safeguards against the religious spirit is having ears to hear and eyes to see what God is doing and saying. That's why Jesus is always saying that when he's teaching and telling parables, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear, right? That means having your spiritual ears tuned in by being open in your heart to the, to what the, the spirit of God is saying. Okay. So number one was the values, the power of God. Number two is values, the voice of God. And number three is this, a church that values the presence of God. There's a, there's a sensitivity in these kind of churches to how the Lord's presence is moving in worship and prayer and ministry time and small group ministries and Bible studies. There's a sensitivity in the people because our hearts are sensitive to how the Spirit is moving. Right? That's why so, sometimes we kind of, we're in worship and it feels like the Lord is just in the room. We just sense His presence and we say, let's just keep going with this for a little while. Let's just keep kind of worshiping for a few more minutes longer than we normally have. Right? That's just, that's just being sensitive to, to the Lord's voice and the moving of the Spirit uh, in our midst. And there's a desire to yield to that presence. Because sometimes what happens is the Holy Spirit starts to move in a service, and it makes some people kind of uncomfortable, including sometimes the pastor, by the way. And the, there's, a, there's a sort of a temptation to go... Ugh. Okay, next, moving on to the Nicene Creed, right? It's kind of, kind of break. We don't want to break that. We want to be a people who are sensitive to when the Spirit is moving through the liturgy. Yeah? Okay. Good. Uh, the Christian theologian Stanley Hauerwas says, a Christian is a person who is out of control. <laughs> I love that. A Christian is a person who is out of control. In all the best ways, right? Hands off, letting, letting God lead you, guide your life. Out of control because what matters most is total surrender to the presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful presence and sweet presence that He is. That He is, that He offers to us. So here's, I want to close because this, because I don't want to have it be a, a sermon about the religious spirit, watch out. I want to have a solution. How do you overcome the religious spirit? And it's very, very simple. It's very, very simple. How do we overcome the religious spirit and make sure that we are avoiding it? The cross of Jesus Christ is what delivers us from the religious spirit. Because the religious spirit, it glories in what it can do, what it can control, how much it can do for God. Right? That can be a religious spirit. How much I can do for God drives my identity. Right? So the cross of Jesus Christ disarms the religious spirit because it enables us to rest in the finished work of Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. It should bring a sigh of relief to your spirit because the religious spirit operates out of performance and control and guilt and insecurity and all those things rather than in the finished work of Jesus. But you see, if you understand the cross, if it's really changed your life, you don't perform for God's favor. You live out of your sonship. 
out of your adoption. You know that you've been born anew by his spirit. And everything that you do for God comes out of who you are in God. Because he's already accomplished it on the cross. Hallelujah. And there's a peace that comes with that. We don't have to control things because we trust God's spirit to lead. We don't operate out of guilt, shame, or insecurity because our identity is totally in Jesus Christ. We're confident of his love for us. We see what he did for us on the cross and we say, he's a God who's never going to leave me or forsake me. He's never going to fail me. And I don't have to perform to win his favor. I live my life of obedience and love for him because of what he's done for me. You speak, our spiritual lives will be an overflow of the love and power of God poured into us through the work of the cross. Doesn't that just make you relieved? Isn't that so much better than kind of trying to manage a religious system or managing a religious life and trying to keep God happy with all of our strivings rather than saying, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. (sighs) Glory. And the cross of Christ. Is that the timer to tell me I should shut up now? (laughs) Time's up. It's 1045. Very good. Very good. Let me close. Let me close with this. Summarizing what I just said, the religious spirit is the natural consequence of trying to build one's identity on anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. Because every other foundation for identity is a shaky foundation. But if your identity is rooted in the eternal love of God, displayed on the cross where he forgave your sins, you have an identity and a foundation that can't be shaken. That's good news. But the religious spirit will will have to find an identity in what it can do, what it can control, right? That's not healthy. Jesus says, come to me and rest. That disarms us of the religious spirit. So the cross is what enables us, the finished work of Jesus, to rest, to be freed and delivered from a religious spirit, and to honor God with our lives. Um, Let me just finish with this, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. You've all heard it before, just as a reminder. He says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace you have been saved. We need to hear that often. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. God raised us up from death and seated us with Jesus. And heavenly places. That's where our identity has to be rooted and grounded. And then later in the chapter, he says, For we are God's handiwork. We are God's artwork. We are God's sculptures. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay? So first, it's identity rooted in Jesus. Forgiven of my sins. Having handed my life over to Jesus and put him in charge of it, I can now rest because I am now crucified with Christ, as Paul said, and Jesus Christ now lives in me. The life I live in my my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And when you stand there, his life, his power, his authority works through you because you're a yielded 
vessel. Amen. So let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for we're grateful for who you are, Jesus. We're grateful that all of our striving and all of the, the religious um, inclinations in us to try to impress you or to press, impress one another, to try to control and, and, and manage uh, your houses of prayer, Lord, it can just be let go of because what you've done in the cross of Jesus. If only, Lord, we would, by a work of your spirit, be able to open our eyes that we're sons and daughters, that, 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 that the work has been done that it's been completed and now we yield to you. That Lord, if, if we would just take all of that energy that we, we strive to please you and actually just get in a secret place and just be with you, Lord, and just rest in you, how much you would accomplish through us. And we'd have peace and we'd have freedom. So Lord, we ask that today your word would not return void, Lord. Each and every one of us, Lord, myself included, we say, Lord, just guard us. Show us if there's anywhere in our hearts that we've had a religious spirit, Lord. Just show us that and just help so that we can just let it go and just give it to you, Lord, and just confess it and turn away from it and find freedom. Lord, we're grateful that you're always, always doing a work in our hearts. You're always breaking up hard, fallow ground and softening it so that we can receive more of what you have for us. We thank you, Lord, that you're a good father to us today. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son and what he's accomplished on our behalf on the cross of Calvary. It's in his holy name that we pray. Amen.